Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to speak to you along the subject this morning. Investigate before you insinuate. And I think it's important that you understand that there's a difference when we say things about certain things, that we investigate, which simply means to carefully, with a careful, thorough examination, search for facts. You know, some of the gossip that goes on in our land today is is a lot of the gossip's not true. It's, it's, it's insinuation or it's to insinuate. Now, some of the facts that people state, that's okay. That's true. And, uh, but some of, you know, to insinuate means to a sly hint or suggestion against someone without an investigation. I want you to look at that word insinuate. Isn't it interesting? In sin. Kind of puts you in a position that if you're insinuating, you're in sin. But now, if you've investigated and you know what the facts are and the truth are, you're not sinning. You're just telling the truth. So, I think Jesus plunges in here and he says, especially when problems arrive, and by the way, uh, this is what I share with all my young guys and, and the, the guys coming along. If you think you're going to come into a pastorate and pastor a church and you're not going to have problems, you're one naive uh, rascal. I promise you, I spent four years in Bible college, and I had not one class to teach me on how to deal with problems. I didn't even think I was going to run into any problems. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know until the third church that I pastored, I was so young, that anybody ever had problems. I thought my wife and I and kids, we were the only one that ever had problems. <laughs> and then I found out, right, row. Everybody's got problems. Well, I believe when you and I alone don't investigate things and we just insinuate and then, as Jesus put out here, blurt out things, we're guilty of being a fault-finding, backslidden critic. So we need to be careful about what we share and and what we uh, put out there. But I, I know this, nobody likes anybody standing under the judgment of anybody. But I'm telling you, this verse in chapter 7, verse 1, I want you to look at it. It says in the King James Version, judge not that you be not judged. But now, I know several of you know that I like to use the New Living Translation. And, and I want you to hear it in the New Living. It says, stop judging others and you'll not be judged. I want you to understand something This verse is so misunderstood. But just because you don't judge anybody, you're still going to be judged. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be critiqued whether you do a good thing or you do a bad thing. Uh, There was a bachelor who wanted to get married, and every time he brought his perspective, uh, a perspective wife home or to meet his mother, his mother would just criticized the woman unmercifully. And finally, he just quit bringing anybody home. And finally, one day, he was talking to his friend about it. He said, you know, he said, I got this real problem. He said, my mama don't agree with any woman I bring home. He said, do you know what I might could do about that? He said, I know exactly what to do about that. 
He said, you go out and you find you a clone of your mother. He said, what's that? He said, get one that looks like her, get one that walks like her, that talks like her, and even thinks like her, and take her home. He said, all right. He found one, and he called his friend. He said, hey, I'm fixing to take her to meet my family. I'll call you and tell you how it goes. So sure enough, he took her home. (laughs) Next day, he called his buddy back, and he said, well, man, how did it go? He said, it was awful. It was terrible. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, my mother loved her to death, but my daddy couldn't stand to even look at her. Isn't it so true that we really don't like criticizers? We don't want to be critiqued, but I'm going to tell you what, sometimes we need to be critiqued. But I I think Jesus has something to say about that. Well, you know, in his book, Men Sent from God, Richard DeHaan lists some of the criticism pastors receive. If the pastor is young, they say he lacks experience. But if, the, if he's too old and gray-headed, then he's too old for the young people. If he's got five or six children, he's irresponsible. But if he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, he's neglecting the Bible. But if he doesn't use any, he's not relevant. If he condemns wrong deeds, he's cranky. And hard to get, get along with. But if he doesn't, he's compromising and liberal. If he drives an old car, an old car, you know what an old car is? Yeah, many of us got one. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. But if he drives too new of a car and too expensive of a car, he's setting his affection on earthly things and living above his means. Dehan's point is, criticism is a part of everything we do. And uh, I told this on Jason uh, Williams this morning on, on the early service. I went in one day, and he was sitting in his office. And he had that glazed stare over his face. I knew exactly what was going on. He had been criticized until he had been criticized enough. Now, sometimes we are due criticism, but sometimes we get it because of just who we are. And, and we've got this big sign on us that says, shoot us, we can take it. Well, sometimes we can't. Well, I know there's only three reasons people will not criticize or talk about you. Y'all need to write this down. This will help you. Three ways people will not criticize you or talk about you. One, if you do nothing. Two, if you say nothing. And three, if you have nothing. Ain't nobody going to condemn you or criticize you for that. Otherwise, prepare yourself because somebody's going to be talking about you constantly. In this field, I'm used to being referred to as fried chicken for dinner. I say, choke on the bone. I don't care. You ain't hurting me. Well, 
I guess one of the most exhausting matters in 34 years of pastoring in the local church, I, I, I got a, a call, and I, I'm going to clarify this one because I understand when I talk about age older than mine, I refer to that we're not, there's no use for us. That's not true. But Gerald Purvis has preached in this pulpit, and he's a good friend of mine, and, and at 65, he retired. Well, he, I, we called the other day, and he said, guess what, Mike? I just turned 70 years old. I said, I'm glad you said that because I've been concerned about that. I'm 59, fixing to hit this coming April next year, 60. And I'm feeling, he said, Mike, wait a minute, let me tell you something. I'm 70 years old and I'm considering a pastorate. I said, have you lost your cotton picking mind? You've had five years of freedom. You can go in as an interim, go in as supply, preach your heart out, and just leave it all behind for somebody else to correct. Take a pastorate. That's what I feel led to do. I said, I'll pray for you. You know, in in 34 years, I I get wearied of the backseat drivers and the Sunday couch sideline quarterbacks and especially the condemning critic spirits. And Jesus deals with this, and, and he talks about criticism, but he, but he speaks of it in the word judge. You see it? What is he talking about? Judge. Judge not. In context, the word judge means speaking of making a decision or coming to a certain conclusion about something or someone. You say, what's that mean? Well, you know what it means. I can't say it from the pulpit, but you'll figure it out if you just write it on the word, on the page. What it makes you to assume something. You look at it later on. I ain't about to say it here and let you criticize me. But I know what it makes us when we assume or when we jump to conclusions about things. Well, there was this dog named August, and there, there once, uh, this dog was always jumping at conclusions. One day, he jumped at the conclusion of a mule, and that was the last day of August. You say, what's all that mean? It means that when we jump to conclusions and insinuate, we hurt people. We can damage people, and we got to be careful about that. But don't, don't jump ship with me. You got, I'm going to balance this thing, okay? Few verses in the Bible are ever as misinterpreted as Matthew 7, verse 1. It's misunderstood and so often misapplied. So what Jesus gives us, first of all, is a proper look to be clarified. It was a scholar who said, the few verses quoted, this, these few ver- verses are quoted more frequently than than the openings, than the opening ones of Matthew 7. Few verses less understood by those who are so ready to cite it, hurl it at the heads of those who they ignorantly and maliciously suppose are violating them. Jesus said, judge not. What does he mean? Well, I'll tell you what it don't mean. It don't mean that spirit-filled, good, abiding Christians, good people cannot exercise discernment. There are times that every leader in this church, every leader that have followed me 
we've had to make decisions based on spiritual, biblical discernment that people get upset about. And guess what? We just have to grow up when you get mad at us. That's right. You can sit and spit and sputter and and, and foul plugs all you want to at us, but sometimes we just got to tell it like it is, whether you like it or not. And, and, and I don't like upsetting people no more than you do. Sometimes I run a risk of making wrong decisions when I need to take a stand because my, my wife's mercy has rubbed off on me. But I'll tell you something, my prophet's done rubbed off on her, so be careful, my wife's changing. Some believe that we should be model Christians and accept just whatever. Baloney, we don't have to accept just whatever. But we have to, to act. And, and what Jesus is going to teach us, whatever we do. When, when my mama had an old backslidden teenager at the house, and, and I'll never forget, I came home in a condition that everything was spinning, and that's all I'll say. And I had to lay in an old tire in the backyard wondering where the house was at. She did never accept that behavior, but she loved me. She didn't throw me away, but she loved me. She enabled me because she didn't tell Daddy. (laughs) Daddy would have killed me. So my mama was my enabler that day. When it comes to the morality in our land today, we have people who get very defensive when people that know the Bible, if you get mad at people preaching to you the Bible, then you got a spiritual problem. You're backslidden if you're having a problem with what Jesus is saying here. Now, on the other hand, Christians who do not take a stand against wickedness and, and, and call sin for what it is, we've slipped over into liberalism. And so, I'm told that anarchy in politics and apostasy in pulpits have created apathy in the pews. Why is it that we don't take the stands that we need to take today? Have we just bought into that all we want to hear is something that just tickles our little old ears? And we're not told that we need to be told that we need to be committed to Jesus and to serve him and to take a stand for holiness. Ain't, no whole, ain't a whole lot of amen wants to go on that stuff today. Judgment is wrong when you and I judge by the wrong standard and when we drug judge in the wrong spirit. You see, there's only one standard as far as I'm concerned to pass forth judgment on people, and that's the Word of God. You see, the only yardstick we have, you and I have, the only measurement that we have is the Word of God. The only basis for your standard and mine should not be our opinion or our feelings or what we think is wrong, but what the Bible says is wrong. I don't care what you think, but I sure care what my wife thinks. I want lunch. 
I'm selfish. So I listen. One of the reasons why, let me say this statement because this is important. Judgment can still be wrong even if we judge with the right standard and the wrong motive. So we got to be careful of that. But there are two reasons why we often judge people, and, and we're not the best judges in the world, but I'll tell you something. Listen to me. Some of you are here today, and you've walked a, a rough walk. You've, you've, you've developed what I call a discernment for the street, and you can see it, and you can feel it, and you can sense it when it starts coming at you. Am I right? And is it wrong to call wrong, wrong when you see it coming at your family, coming at you as a person? No. Somebody better stand up and say something. But you see, for all of us to run around with a critical spirit, with down our noses, thinking that we're better than everybody else, we need to understand that we are fallible people. We're fallible. And so sometimes it, we run, a, 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 we run a, a risk of jumping to hasty conclusions with a wrong, unjustified reason. But let me tell you something. L- listen to this. I read uh, there's an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise visit to his, to his plant. Walking through the warehouse, he noticed a young man just lazily leaning up against some packing crates with his hands in his pocket doing nothing. The boss walked to him, the owner, and said, Sir, how much do you make a week? He said, $300. His eyes about that big. He pulled his wallet out, popped 300, 100 crisp dollar bills on him. He said, Now you get out of here and don't you ever come back. Well, then he walks over to the boss Manager who's there every day. He said, I want, to, I want to ask you a question. Where did we get him anyway? How long has he been working here? He said, sir, he didn't work here. He was just delivering a package. <laughs> we got to be careful because we can jump to conclusions. But let me balance this thing. I got four grandkids. You hear me? Four grandkids. Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn y'all now. When boys come around my two precious, even though precious sometimes is in the eyes of the, and ears of the beholder, I'm going to speak my peace. If I see a derelict or a ding-a-ling coming their way, I'm going to call it. And I'm not going to be fearful that I'm going to run them away from Paul Paul. Because I'd rather them be mad at Paul Paul. Because they, if they're going to make a wrong decision, they're going to make a wrong decision whether I say anything or not. You better listen to me. Because some of y'all are raising kids. It's better to tell it than be sorry because you see it and you discern it. God put you walking in that, in that gutter life and you saw it for yourself and you've come out of it and you don't want your kids in it with anybody. 
Now, does that mean that that person can't get right? Yeah, but if they ain't right, you better say something. Now I'm going to jump out of the hot seat and blame something on uh, Harold Danley. Harold Danley was an evangelist. He spoke here. Some of you hated him. He was one of them preachers. You either loved him or hated him because he's going to make you mad when he preaches. <laughs> one particular sermon here on the stage, here's what he said. This boy got interested in my daughter. I saw through Now, Harold Danley was an ex-hitman. He got saved when he was looking through the cross members of a rifle. He was fixing to, for $500, take a man's life. He done got right preaching the gospel, but there's one thing he learned. He knew how to be the man at his house, and he didn't care how old his daughter was. He looked at his wife, and he looked at his daughter. He said, is that the man you're going to date right there? She said, yeah, ain't he cool? He took a sledgehammer. When that old boy came up, he blew the horn. He took that sledgehammer and he beat that vehicle on till he said it was the best money I ever spent. I, he said, I beat the headlights out. I beat the fenders on the thing. I beat the hood on the thing. And, and then he said, buddy, I want you to look at me. I'm not telling a joke. This is honest God truth. Harold Andy did this. He said, I'm going to do to you what I just done to your car if you disrespect my daughter. Let me tell you what that boy never did. <laughs> Ain't hard to figure out, is it? Then he peeled out $1,500 and said, now go get your car fixed. Best $1,500 he said I've ever spent. You see, the problem is today, oh, bless God, we don't want to drive them away. If they drive away, they're going to go without you saying anything or not. You better be saying what's true and what you see as a parent. Don't you wimp out and Willie Walker on your kids. Tell them you won't be popular, but you're not supposed to be popular. You're not supposed to be their buddy. You're not supposed to be their friend. You're supposed to be their mama and their daddy. God puts you here to teach them, even if it means a beat-up offender or two. Do it before anything happens. Be careful that... We expect and to investigate before we go to insinuating. Well, someone said this in an age-old poem. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. <laughs> and that's about the truth. You see, most of the time, what you and I judge others for and criticize others for, we are guilty or have been guilty of it ourselves. It's, I'm going to tell you a sermon in a sentence of what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's not telling you that you can't size up a situation. He's saying, when you size it up, understand, if it flips back on your foot, you better take it and stand there like a man. If you're going to judge somebody, understand that that judgment may come back on you. So don't go pointing your finger at stuff that you're guilty of yourself. Boy, it's been tough through the years because I preached from this pulpit, and I'm confessing not only to you, but I've confessed it to God. There's been times I've preached from this pulpit on stuff I was guilty of. And Jesus beat the living daylights out of me. It's It's the truth. He tore me up. Why? Because there is circumstances. Look, I've already received forgiveness, but Jesus, just because he forgives you, he's still going to point at it. And I still have to go to him and confess it and repent of it. You know what? It's always easier to straighten out others until that same predicament is on your shoe or that shoe is on your foot. But let me tell you something. Don't back down. If it switches back on you, you take a stand. Do it in love. My mama didn't disown me because I sinned. But I'm telling you, the problem and the reason I believe that so often our kids don't make the right decisions is because we haven't taught them what the right decisions are. We're just praying and hoping they do. They need to hear it from you. Even if you have not been the best example, even if you've had the same glitches, you already know the consequences. You know what the, the, the thorn feels like. Looking at the pretty rose. You know, Jim Baker, he definitely wasn't my favorite. He still isn't my favorite evangelist. But I remember when he was married to Tammy Faye, and they were out there hot, you know, building that city for Christians, and, and he had a moral failure. A TV evangelist who was a whole lot more important than he was, or popular, came out on public TV at that time and said, I think Jim Baker needs to step down for two years in his ministry. Well, you know Jim Baker stepped down a whole lot longer than that. He went to jail. Don't know if he did Bible studies in jail. Don't know if he had a jail ministry or not. He's out now. But that same person. Looking down his old self-pious nose. Judged him. And it wasn't six months or so afterwards, he had a moral failure. Shoe shifted to his foot. And he didn't follow his own advice. Guys, Moral failure is wrong. 
But you know what? What's even worse is people to criticize those folks and have no love or compassion. You know, they are hurting, believe it or not. Now, if they're not hurting, it don't matter what you say. But come on. If you're going to judge, be able to take it back. Be able to stand there and say, oh, bless God, I did this too. I'm wrong. I've lived in sin too, but I no longer do it. I repented. And if I relapse, admit it. And get back on the right deal. Oh, it got me wherever I needed to be right with Jesus. So I think Jesus is, is pointing in here not on the judging or criticizing so much as he is. Why are you trying to take the splinter out of an eye of someone else, verse 3, and when you got a plank in your eye? Why are you trying to pick on me and get the out of my eye when you can't see because you got a telephone pole running through your head? It is funny. I, I had a guy draw a picture of that. You ought to see that. I wish I'd have brought it. It's ridiculous. That's why I'm not a legalist. But I'm not a liberal either. I believe I'm a scripturalist. I, I try to go by what the Bible says. And you know what I want to preach? What the Bible says. I don't care what you say. I don't care what commentators say. I don't care what theologians say. Jesus is clear enough for me. He really is. Well, then second of all, as a perverted look, I don't have enough time to preach my sermons. No, I, I'm going to be, but I'm just trying to repent here for saying it. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank of two before, four before, and yellow? How can you say to your brother, verses 3 and 4, let me remove the speck out of your eye and, and look at the plank that's in your own eye? What, what Jesus was saying is the reason we can't do it and it's, a, it, it's condemned is because we have sight that's distorted. It's like the man that walked into a psychiatrist's office and he had a fried egg on his top of his head and two strips of bacon on each ear. And he said, Doc, my brother's got a serious problem. He does. Some of us are like that. We want to straighten out the world, and, and we got a major problem in our own lives. <clears throat> the easiest thing in the world to see is the fault which others own. The hardest thing in the world to see is the fault which you condone. Don't condone your own sin. And feel like anybody's going to respect you. Don't try to make your kids quit something that you're doing yourself. You don't want them to drink, you don't drink. You don't want them to smoke, you don't smoke. You don't want them to cuss, you don't cuss. You want them to be faithful to church, you be faithful to church. Set a, set a standard. Don't leave it up, well, I'm going to let my child choose. Yeah, they'll choose, all right. 
Bless God, they will. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear no complaining because they're going to follow your example. Well, you're just being hard. No, you're being dumb. Because my kids are doing what I did for 34 years. Your kids are going to do what you've done for the past whatever years. And, and I can't help it. They may break out of it, but they're going to repeat to a certain extent what you've done. Whatever you model. It's up to you. I, I don't know what you're modeling. I think I'd find out. See, it's not only sight distorted, but, oh, oh, let me say this about that. The word beholdest carries with it an idea of staring at something. Be careful when you go critiquing that you don't critique only the people you don't like. Because what you'll find is if you're not consistent in this, you'll say no to this one, but, but you like this one over here, or this might be your family member. I'm not going to be as hard on them. That's hypocrisy. Read verse 5. Don't be a hypocrite. Stay consistent with what your stand is. And that's what he's talking about. Don't take this... And don't go looking for something because what you look for, guess what? You'll find it. You'll find it. You see, sight's not only distorted, but it's deceptive. I'm going to tell you all something you all didn't know today when you walked in here, and I'm going to help you out. You are not perfect. I know, oh, I hear the moanings going on. I know you didn't know that, some of you. I cannot believe that that preacher just said, I'm not perfect. There was a perfect man who met and married a perfect woman. They met each other at a perfect party. They dated for two perfect years. They had the perfect wedding, the perfect honeymoon. They had two perfect children. One day, the perfect man and the perfect woman were driving in their perfect car met on the side of the road, Santa Claus walking, being the perfect people that they were, knowing that if they didn't pick up Santa Claus, their perfect children who was with their perfect babysitter would be mad because it's so close to Christmas. Well, as the perfect man and the perfect woman were driving with Santa Claus, somehow they had a car accident. Two people died one lived. It was the perfect woman because everybody knows and we've been told that the perfect man and Santa Claus are not real. <laughs> While I'll agree that I am not perfect, neither is Cindy. Neither are you. My wife's a good woman. And I don't, she has to have something going her way to put up with this idiot. Amen. But she ain't perfect. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. So often, what we're afraid of when we fall under criticism is that people are going to realize 
what our skeletons are that we have in the closet that we don't want nobody to find out. You know what I've learned? The skeletons that we keep in the closet that we don't tell nobody about, Satan rubbed his hands together just like this and grins and says, I'm going to bust your hind in with it. I'm going to put you in jail with it. I'll do it on my own sweet time, but you'll be the one that reaps the consequences. It's, in, it's not until we go secret. We tell everybody, oh, 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 oh don't tell nobody about this. You want to know why you don't want nobody to know? Because <laughs> you don't want to give it up. You're afraid somebody will judge you. You're afraid somebody find out, ooh, ooh, I got a skeleton in my closet. Well, again, everybody in this church house say, I don't care who you are when I look at you, and when you look at me, you got a skeleton in your closet. And you know what? Until you get it out, Jesus can't rule and reign freely in our lives. We're always going to be coming back on that stuff. You see, it's so important that we understand that Jesus, even though he loves us, even though he's forgiven us, he has the right through his blood to point to our weaknesses. And the coolest thing biblical about that is that it is through our weaknesses we can be strong, but not in the closet, not hiding it, not secretively keeping it over here nipped and tucked. Now, I'm not saying you should stand up here and tell everybody <laughs> everything. You'd probably kill us because some of us think you're perfect. There was a lady in the airport, and I close with this. I'll hush. I got about five more pages, but I'll still hush. I'm not even going to give you the third point. But anyway, I'll give you the conclusion. <clears throat> there was a lady in an airport who bought a book to read, and she was sitting there and also bought her a package of cookies. And they were sitting there, you know, and she and heard her flight called. So she went and got on, sat down next to this man, and the cookies, she noticed, was sitting in between them and didn't realize, well, doggone, must, must have fell out of there or something. The man reached down and got him a cookie and eat it. Ooh, that red-blooded, perfect woman got mad. She grabbed a cookie and she ate it. Well, he didn't think nothing about anything. What's she doing? He reached down, grabbed him a cookie, made her madder. She grabbed one and eat it and just looking at him. So finally it got down to the last cookie. He reached and broke it in half and gave her one half. Oh, she was about to blow a gasket. The audacity of him eating my cookies that I bought. When everything was gotten together, the man had exited the plane. She grabbed her stuff together and reached in for a Kleenex, and there was her pack of cookies. (laughs) 
Who was the perfect one? <laughs> now, this is not a sexist sermon. I ain't trying to go there with this. <clears throat> we have to be careful to investigate carefully, know what we're talking about. Because if we're hinting on the side, oh, did you see the preacher the other day? You ain't going to believe. Let me tell you something. I can tolerate a lot of things, but don't you go talking about my grandkids, my family. I'm telling you right now, that bitch blood, I get as mad as that cookie illustration. <laughs> because I know your kids is just as bad as mine. And I don't talk about yours. If anything in the church we ought to be doing for one another, Jesus, help us all. Because we're not perfect. But I'm not freeing any of us up, including me, of blowing the whistle when I see a red light. You hear me? Because our kids, our grandkids, they expect it out of us. And if you have made yourself accountable to somebody, which you should, blow the whistle. Look, say, I'm in trouble. I need to talk to somebody. I need to pray with somebody because I'm fixing to go down. And for some people, that ain't just sipping. It's called a relapse. You hear me? That's serious stuff. With every head bowed.